Uh, welcome back to another Impact tonight. I uh, Impact the Education Leadership. This is episode 119. I'm your host, IEP, for on Thursday. Tonight's time is our Buddy Thor, the Project Social Change Agent, so, and Mama Pat Matthew. Buddy Thor, please say hello to the people. Good evening, everybody. Uh, thank you for inviting me back, Isaiah. And uh, I just want to tell the veterans who are listening to the podcast, I know it'll be after Veterans Day, but thank you all for your service. And let's uh, let's all be humble and uh, and continue through our day honoring our country. Absolutely. And happy Veterans Day to everyone listening in. And Mama Pat Matthews, please say hello to the people. Uh, good afternoon, and I thank you, uh, Isaiah, for inviting me. Uh, my name is Patricia Matthews, but everybody called me Mama Pat. Uh, I appreciate the veterans and all of you that are listening. We just honor you today, and we know it'll be after today when you listen to this, but we appreciate your service to our country, and thank you for that. And I just want to uh, kind of introduce myself because I it, I haven't been on here. I am uh, an active member, elder at the Potter's House, Dallas. Uh, I um, work with a nonprofit organization group called Hope Restored Missions, and we're located in Plano, Texas. And our word, the name of our organization tells exactly what we do. We try to give people that have fallen on hard times, mainly uh, the homeless, but anyone that we can assist in any way. Uh, with housing and jobs and IDs and food and whatever the need is, we try to give them hope for the future and help them with that. And so just, I'm glad to be here and I thank you for inviting me. Absolutely, and we are so humbled to have you here. You know, uh, tonight's topic is how to beat stereotypes by seeing people as individuals. Racial stereotypes of early American history had a significant role in shaping the African-American culture. Pictures of famous characters like Sambo, Jim Crow, the Savage, Jezebel, and now today's infamous haters are just in most cases as powerful then as they are now. The stereotyping of African Americans was brought to the theatrical stage with the initiation of the blackface minstrel made famous in entertainment extravaganzas and in Hollywood, even in circus acts. Beginning in the early 19th century, white performers darkened their faces with burnt cork, painted bizarrely overstated white mouths over their own, putting unwoven black wigs and taking to the stage entertainment at a large medium in front of large crowds and screaming fans. These characters created what we now call Jim Crow. This city 
Dandy was the northern counterpart to the southern plantation darky, the Sambo. Historically, media has portrayed African Americans in these types of illustrations, these types of portraits, these types of images, because the media's portrayal of African Americans has been conducive to forming those stereotypes. Interventions in this area are an excellent place to start if we intend to beat stereotyping people by how we see them and start giving them an opportunity to be individuals. Well, tonight we want to bring back to this podcast to discuss this powerful discussion. I believe tonight is going to be a night of renaissance, a night of rebirthing and reshaping and a paradigm shift of the mind. With that being said, let's welcome back Buddy Thorne, the positive social change agent pro. Sir, this topic is right in line to a lot of books that you're writing now, but I'm going to shut up. <laughs> I'm going to let you tell us a little bit about what you're doing currently, sir. Isaiah, uh, you're dead on with that. I, uh, I believe that it's apropos to today's social environment that we need to talk about stereotypes because the expansion of stereotypes is simply a evolved form of racism on steroids in the modern context. In the last two years, especially, uh, you can see racism embedded in stereotyping. And in my writing, I combat all forms of racism. I combat all forms of stereotyping and labeling and blaming and shaming and judging of groups. And I try to get people to focus on unique individualism. And uh, I think that's where we can go to start tonight's conversation. Absolutely agree, absolutely agree. You know, tonight's conversation is gonna be uh, so impactful, and this is why we had to have uh, this, these panelists, this uh, cadre on with us uh, tonight. Um, not only is the conversation going to be spectacular in a way that we're going to try to, you know, bring uh, this together. Uh, we're going to try to break this down in, in a way that is consumable um, into bite-sized pieces because this is going to be guidance. This is going to be uh, leadership uh, moving forward from this pandemic, in this pandemic. And this is so beneficial. How is it beneficial? Well, it's beneficial to the way people are affected and have been affected by these different stereotypes. And with that being said, let me ask, let's start this conversation off uh, with this question. Uh, even if a, a stereotype may seem proper for a group member, right? It is wrong to assume that the stereotype applies to all members of that group. So how are children who are not part of the dominant or the privileged group susceptible to the stereotype threats, right? And we're talking the demography, uh, we're talking uh, environment, uh, we're talking upbringing, right? Uh, which can cause them to experience things like nervousness, anxiety, uh, in these different types of situations that can potentially reinforce 
those mindsets, those negative mindsets, those negative stereotypes uh, that people said about that particular social group. Um, and so my, my question is uh, to uh, Buddy Thornton, the Positive Social Change is a pro. You know, what are, uh, what is happening here when, when people are being labeled psychologically, what is happening and, and how can they unwind, how can they get untangled uh, from these different, I would say, um, biases uh, against certain social groups? That's my question. Well, Isaiah, well, we really have to unpack that question. There's a couple of different things you've got in there. Number one, we really have to define racism. And racism is actually what you bring to the table within the definition. Racism is the marginalization or oppression of people of color based on a socially constructed racial hierarchy that privileges the white people here in America or the dominant group in any country. So racism, you know, has a definition, but racism has evolved into a adoption of stereotyping. And it has evolved into a uh, a weaponized euphemism in the culture. The modern evolution of racism has created a, a pattern of adopted stereotypes that are omnidirectional. They cross all socioeconomic groups, but they affect, obviously, the lower economically challenged groups more than they do other people. The evolution of racism is problematic because the stereotypes that it creates are basically a universal all or nothing. And that those, because they're universalisms, they're conflict creators. I'll give you an example. When a, a white person says anything that is oppressive toward the black race, and there are people within the black group who don't fit what they're saying, number one, the universalism can't fit. Number two, you create doubt and you create the why why isms well if they're going to label me that way why shouldn't i go ahead and do that or why shouldn't i go ahead and be that and it becomes a psychological affectism number two if someone from the minority culture be it hispanic or black says all whites are racist when we know that that is a catch-all it's universalism that obviously does not ring true from a social standpoint, yes, institutionally, uh, racism has existed for hundreds of years. And the anger inherent to racism is embedded across cultures and it, every generation that grows up, and especially in today's culture where you have so much more access to information, these kids are extremely aware of the affect of racism. There's no, you can't hide it. These kids, they... They dodged the bullet. They dodged the question more than we did in our generation. They certainly are going to continue to do that over time. But we need to understand what that is. When minorities, especially inexperienced teenagers, hear a lie presented as truth often enough, they're going to start to buy into whatever is going to make them feel safe. They're not going to care whether it's correct or not. They don't have the experience or the filter to, to know the difference. So they're going to seek common ground and they're going to seek what makes them feel safe. 
the anxiety being created at one level is going to drive their perception of social threats, and it's going to make it difficult for them to have strong relationships. It may even create an inability to have relationships. There are seven factors that are driving this. Stereotypes are, are at the core of that, but they really de-evolve into two constructs. The first construct is all humans are labels, and we're all addicted to the pecking order. We look for similar and dissimilar categories. We try to be in factions constructed by our concepts of loyalty and competition, and we prefer the security of asylum mentality segregation over the risk of being out in the open. We will adopt an in-group, even if it is a bad in-group, over an, a completely open, wide social preference. The second construct is a revolving feedback cycle that reinforces racism every step of the way. The pecking order is challenged to define groups despite the success of allier individuals. If someone is a minority and they are trying to work their way up the pecking order, they're going to find it way more difficult if they're not getting help from someone else in that pecking order. Power dynamics, in this case, is what controls the portal to social equity, and that is an artifact of that pecking order. And because the majority has historically controlled the pecking order, that increases the affect of racism and stereotyping. And it, it is beneficial to the mainstream to reinforce the stereotype. The media, mainstream or social, doesn't matter how you want to label it, and it doesn't matter where you find it, influences the narrative and collapses any progress that doesn't fit what they want to be heard. And finally, and we see it right now in the courts and in the way the state governments are working, especially in the highly conservative states, mandated passivism or the blocking of a topic in learning institutions, which like in this case, they don't want critical race theory taught. They don't want any discussion at all of race, uh, divisiveness, or anything taught in the schools. It's because they fear that if given enough honest debate and expansion of the truth, children are going to choose the moderate middle and they're going to control the narrative and they're going to they're focus on the truth instead of the bias. And that's going to remove barriers that the majority prefer to sustain. So it all circles back to the stereotype. If they can maintain the stereotype, they're going to do so. So when you say, how do we get the kids to, to get beyond the anxiety of that stereotype? Well, <laughs> there's really only two paths. You, we, we know that. We have to do what we call reactive anti-racism. We have to encourage the immediate non-threatening exposure of any microaggression or any racist context that needs to be normalized and accepted. We need to tell people when they're being improper to someone else, especially someone who doesn't look like them. Before that even happens, proactive anti-racism protocols need to be established that would reduce the friction that's even created by calling someone out. And students, when asked to respond anonymously state this unequivocally. They want to have the conversation themselves. They don't want the adults involved. They believe that they are equipped to handle the conversation about racism and they don't need anybody else to guide them because they're comfortable in their own skin. They believe that they can 
be the answer to evolving our world and getting away from what has been historical racism. So the best way to do that, I believe, is to reduce the racism conversation to the dyad level. Let the, let the kids talk it out. Be the resource. Never abandon it. Let them, let them talk it out. Don't discourage it. Encourage debate and curiosity, but don't let anybody control the narrative. Don't let anybody go down some kind of tangent. Above all else, accept the uniqueness of everyone. Everyone is unique. There is no such thing as better or worse, only different. I've never met another human being that looks like me. Probably that's a good thing, but the bottom line is everyone's unique. If we embrace the goodness of what it means to be human and we start setting aside the anger and working on addressing the anger that comes from historic racism in these ways, I believe that we can conquer this. It's going to take a lot of work, a lot of sleepless nights, but I, I believe we can get there. Impactful! Listen, 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 listen. You know, as, as, as you were speaking, as you were speaking, it reminded me of Veterans Day. And why did it remind me of Veterans Day? One thing that the Army, I know you're in the Navy, but one thing that the Army taught us was, well, they actually forced it. And it was hands-on. They forced diversity. They forced us to be hands-on. We had to be reach out and touch them. I mean, that's how we did business. And and I think that's one one way to cure this this whole separation thing is to be hands-on and, and to almost force this type of diversity. I know this conversation is getting good. It's bubbling up. I can feel Mama Pat Matthews uh, sitting on the edge of her seat. Let me say this real quick before we bring it to my friend Matthew, because I'm so excited. Uh, you said a lot, and what you said is going to have to affect lifestyles. Not only will it have to affect lifestyles, but it's going to have to create a paradigm shift in heritage. And what do I mean by that? I mean culture. And so this will have to change the culture, but I believe everything is being set up for that to happen. I believe we are we are pressed, we're hard pressed for a change and those people that's gonna go with the change are probably gonna be our children, but they're gonna go with this change and everyone else that's not going with this change is gonna be left out. And so you know, hopefully, you know, those that are left out, our children will come and find us and bring them along. Uh, for the ride, but let me bring let me bring the conversation to Mama Pat. This is not about me, Mama Pat. Based off of what you grew up seeing uh, in the past, because I know Buddy Thornton talked about critical race theory, but based off what you have seen growing up, you know, in the South in the past versus what you're seeing now, has anything changed? What has changed? What are you seeing? That's my question for you. Well, little change, and I, you know that I'm not ashamed of my age, but next week I'll be 73 years old, and this discussion has taken me back to the 90s when I w was working 
in an environment. I've always been a community person, and I was working in an environment that helped uh, victims of violent crime. And I remember getting my hair braided. And at the time, my brother even said to me, they're not going to like you with that hairstyle. And he was telling me, he said, you know, because I was the only person of color in my office. And so I said, this is my head. And so I'm going to wear braids to work. And I remember the morning I walked in, it was said to me, oh, my God, what did you do to your hair? And I just said, combed it like I always do and kept on. But I don't think it's like that now that there are people that accept. um, it's, It's a few, but more people are beginning to accept people with braids, people with dreads and and all that because that's the black heritage. And uh, one person that I know she won't mind me bringing her up is uh, the young lady on Channel 8. She uh, goes on Facebook and she talks about it. She, her hair do is different every week. And it doesn't change what she's doing on her job. It doesn't matter. And so many people watch television, and the contents of the television and the things that we see should affect. But most people don't even get up for commercials. I mean, don't even watch the commercials. They get up and go get them something to eat or go to the restroom. And so the commercials, you know, they have few and in between people of color. Most of them are still lily white, uh, you know. But I think our young people are, they see people more of just another person because they haven't been taught the racism, and a lot of them don't know. They just they they see each other as friends uh, in my group and all that until some person that got a bad mind walks up and say, "Why are you messing with that person? They not like us. What is they not like us? All of us are human beings and we have red blood. If you cut me, I got red blood. If you cut Buddy, he got red blood. If you cut Isaiah, he has red blood." We're human beings, living beings, and, you know, we can't look at the color of our skin. That don't have nothing to do with our personality, our mind, our intelligence, our anything. And so the TV, and even with the movies and the plays and cultural events, things that are happening in our communities, it's separation separation and the church and I'm I'm a member of a church but I feel like this why is there a church on every corner because just because buddy doesn't believe the same way I believe when we read something why should he go out and start a church or vice versa the church is the thing that should be bringing us together 
However, there's one on, we got Methodist, Catholic, Christians, African American, Episcopal, all these different names. When we should be, because the Bible that I read says one church, one Lord, one baptism. And the people are the church, not the building. So we need to learn to come together, get our minds that we're all created in the image of God. Some lighter, some darker, some medium, but we're all human beings. God created the heaven and the earth. God created the people. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and they that dwell therein. And that's my opinion. Incredible. We need to be proud of our heritage. Incredible. That, to me, is an inclination of a mentality of a, of a culture, of, of, a, of a nation, of a a nation of immigrants, really, because America, let's face it, that's what America is, is a nation of immigrants. And these immigrants have come from parts of Europe. They've come from parts of Africa, South Asia, Australia, you name it. There is not just one group here. There, this is a a nation of immigrants. Uh, listen, before I ask you another question, uh, Mama Pat Matthews, I want to thank you so much for coming on this podcast and some advice to the podcast. But I'm sure Buddy Thornton uh, has something to say. And I know he has something to say because he is finishing up a, on a book uh, with this uh, at the heart of that book. But what are your thoughts from what you just heard, Buddy Thornton, Class of Change Agent Pro? Well, I believe uh, Mama Pat made some very uh, apropos comments. I think, uh, first of all, uh, if your heart's not in the right place, your actions are never going to follow. So we have to recognize that the path to the future is through the kids' hearts. And we have to be able to answer to their questions. When they see adults in the room and they do see the adults in the room trust me uh they see bickering they see arguing they see stubbornness they see people who will go to their grave defending a position that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever to them and i'm not defending any position or attacking any position anyone can have an opinion but when a child sees an adult defend a position that makes absolutely no sense to them they're going to take that and they're going to wonder what was the motivation to defend something that made no sense. And they're going to look for those answers. And do you really think they're going to go to the adult in the room to get that answer if the adult in the room is the one exhibiting faulty thinking? So we have to really be very careful about how we handle the treasure of the future. Because, you know, we can make all these decisions, we can try to protect the power dynamics, all these politicians trying to protect their power base, they're trying to 
create some type of a power vacuum for the other side so that they can walk all over them or whatever you however you want to define it these kids are seeing all that and all they want is a future they want a future and we have reached a point in society where that is no longer guaranteed when i grew up in the 60s and i'm approaching this my 70s uh, so i'm close to mama pat's age not quite there but i'm getting there the bottom line is we knew we had a future we didn't expect the world to fly forward as rapidly as it has over the last 60 years but at the end of the day these kids can't look to the year 2100 and see where they're going to be when they're 75 80 years old they can't they can't see that and they're certainly not going to ask the the generations who have mucked everything up they're not, they don't want they don't want answers from adults who have made horrendous mistakes and who have not shown them that they can be the leaders that they need so what the only thing we can do is we need to nurture them with love and affection and guidance we can only allow them to make their decisions and then honor their decisions because at the end of the day they're the ones who are going to save themselves i don't believe we're going to save them i believe they're going to save themselves and i know that god has his hand out he's waiting to see if we're going to get out of the way so he can do his magic and i i just i just don't believe that the current people in power have the answers but i know that the kids will certainly come up with those answers God is a God of miracles. God is a God of miracles. God is a God of miracles. Listen, this is good. This is so good. I got goosebumps. My hair is standing up on the back of my neck. Listen, Mama Pat Matthews, you heard what Buddy Thornton just said, and I want to ask you a question. And I want to go to, let's break this down Ugo Booga style. The media, the television, the newspapers, the magazines, the plays, the, the events, the concerts, the exhibitions, you name it. In your opinion, and I want you to be candid with us. In your opinion, are they doing a good job in representing African Americans and other minorities? And I want to kind of focus on African Americans. Is the media doing a better job now than they did in the 90s with their representation no. of African-American culture? Go ahead. Talk about it. Why? Why you say no? No. no. Uh, okay. Just last year or the year before, before, before the COVID shut everything down, look at all the African-American actors that didn't want to go to the Academy Awards and stop supporting them because they play dynamic roles, but they just be stuck in a movie and don't get credit for it. And it's uh, the television, the movies, and all that. Okay, we got African American Museum of Fine Arts. Everything is still separated and when it should all be together. And even in the schools, and I agree with Buddy, that the children are going to be our future. And uh, just here in, is it, 
I don't want to say the wrong city, but one city that the, one of the teachers got fired because they were saying that they should teach about the Holocaust. The Holocaust. And it's just so much confusion. And so I agree with Buddy that sometimes the adults just need to step back because the children seem to be more together than even we are. And so it's so many young adults that have children that they don't even know their own history, so they can't teach them. And so that's a problem, so they're not being taught. And uh, a lot of the African-American history, a lot, a lot of the Hispanic history is not being taught in school. And that's why a lot of these children cannot pass certain tests and certain exams because they don't know. And then their parents haven't been able. You know, I, I really miss my grandmother because I could sit down and talk to her. She, didn't have, she had a 10th grade education, but she could tell me about things that helped me get along with people. And uh, she was a maid for a doctor, and they had a little house, uh, like a little house for the, the housekeeper that was behind their big house. But they adopted us sort of like family. And for Thanksgiving and Christmas, my entire family went and they would bring us over. They would give us Christmas. They treated us like we were part of the family, and we could go there any time. When my grandmother was in the hospital, the whole family of the people that she worked for was there, like it was their grandmother. And so there are some people that have experienced goodness, and there are a few groups but like I say, the children seem to try to come together, and especially when they go to college, seem like they accept each other for who they are. And if we could just get a little more books, it sounds like the book that Buddy is going to uh, publish is going to be a big help. And if we could just get them to read more and understand that we're all human, that we all belong together, that we should love one another. And uh, I, I mean, Isaiah, I think you know, I don't see color. I see people because the, the ministry that I'm working with, Hope Restored, 90% of the homeless are people that look like me. And most of them are males. But every once in a while, we had a lady that was um, fleeing from domestic violence, and she and her son were sitting there. She was Hispanic. And she just, I'm not a caseworker. I'm over the inventory and the supplies and the food and the clothes and all that. And I kept passing by her. And then all of a sudden, it was like she needs a hug. She was just sitting there looking like if you said boo, she was going to run. And I didn't say anything to her. I just stood in front of her and did my hands for her to stand up. And when she stood up, I opened my arms and she just fell in my arms and started crying. And she said, oh, 
oh, how did you know? How did you know? And I said, I could feel you when I passed. I could feel she was just hurting. She held on to me. She cried, and she said, I wish I could just stay in your arms all day. I feel so safe. And so I talked to her, and I talked to her son. I said, son, I said, you take care of your mom. He was just a little boy. I gave him a backpack with school supplies, and I said, hold on to your mom and try to help her and encourage her. And he, and he was saying, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. I wasn't looking at her color. I felt she needed to know that we cared and that we were trying to help her. She got a job and she came back by one day and I opened the door and she just hugged me. She said, I'm, ne I'm never going to forget you. Never, never. I said, okay, baby, I'm glad. She said, I got a job. I got a job. Thank you so much. Thank you. We need to help people, not their color, not their mind, not their skin. People are human and it means so much when people can tell that you care about them and that you care about what they're going through and the television is not I mean sometimes I look at commercials and I'll be like okay there's one little speck came up and it's just for a few minutes I mean even and most of the time, I don't even pay attention to the commercials, but when I do, I'll be like, okay, I'm looking for somebody that looks like me, and I don't see but one. So I think we need to have a strong sense of pride and know who we are. And no matter what we do, if we walk around with our heads held high, like we are somebody, I think that people will see that we're all God's children. You're just like me. But if you walk around with your head hanging down, your clothes bagging, and people can't help but stereotype you. Look like you somebody because you are somebody. God created you. And so we need to teach our children, you are somebody. You can be whatever you decide you want to be. All you have to do is work on it. But you need to pull those pants up. You need to comb your hair. Even if it's in braids, let it be neat braids. Don't have your hair all over your head. And one thing that I've noticed also is if you look at hair, I, most black people's hair are easy to braid, and Caucasian hair is so straight and stringy, you, you can't hardly braid it unless you tie it, you know, put rubber bands on it. But there are a lot of more young people, young ladies, trying to get their hair braided and getting their hair braided. Some of them might have just one braid on one side or two on, you know, one on each side and all of that. And I went in the store the other day and my hair is braided in the top and then it's hanging down long in the back. And the, the cashier was a little uh, young Caucasian girl. And I had a scarf on, so she couldn't really even see my hair. But when I walked away, she said, oh, ma'am, your hair is beautiful. I said, thank you, darling. Thank you so much. 
And I and when I got in the car, I was like, she couldn't even see my hair. So what would I guess she just saw the hair hanging down under the scarf because in the front it's braided down to my scalp, but it's hanging down in the back. So, you know, and I was like, mm. She she noticed my hair even under this scarf. So people are looking at you, and if you act like you got it all together, even when you don't, people see that. And if you have confidence, just showing that you you have confidence in yourself and that you know that you're somebody, people can see that just like they can see sadness, they can see sickness, they can see loneliness if they be around you long enough. So if you have a positive attitude, represent yourself in a positive way, present yourself in a positive way, and that's what we have to teach all of our children in school, uh, young people in our houses and that are around us. Keep a positive attitude and know that you are important and that you are somebody. You know, we love us a moment. <laughs> we love us a moment. Listening to you talk was like eating a Sunday dinner. Eating a Sunday's dinner. That's <laughs> I can listen to you talk all day. Um, we're out of time. Oh my goodness. We're out of time. Oh. Uh, Listen, what are the takeaways for tonight? <laughs> because, you know, what I heard, it was so much. That this, you have to share this with everyone that you know, because what we heard tonight is going to help us re-critique what we call love language, what we call socialization, because it was redefined tonight. We're gonna have to, and we're gonna have, we're gonna have to redefine where we thought we were. We're gonna have to reposition where we thought we were, and we're gonna have to recritique. We're gonna have to recreate. I believe our kids need to do that. We need. I, I believe our kids need to rebrand this thing. I believe our kids need to recreate this thing. But we need to reevaluate. We need to reanalyze. That's what I believe. But anyway. What are the takeaways tonight? Who wants to go first? Well, I'll step up to the plate first. Uh, you know, I like to teach people that you can reframe the future. The future is always in your hand. And people look at me and they go, I, 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 don't, have, I don't have any way to negotiate the future for other people or, my, or for myself. And I'm like, yes, you do. When you're in a situation where someone commits some type of a negative microaggression or commits some type of a faux pas, something that could possibly be an aggression against somebody else, uh, it can go one of two ways. It can go with a declarative, you know, I don't like being disrespected that way. It could be a rise in temperature in the room. It could be headed toward conflict or it could be a toned down are you aware of what you just did? Uh, do you know why you might have just made me angry because of what you just did? There's a way to steer the conversation toward a positive outcome or a negative outcome. And for the future of our kids, they need to know the difference. 
And when I have conversations with the kids, most of them almost, it's almost like it's an innate skill set. A lot of them already have developed a sense of avoiding the conflict and building the five whys and creating the curiosity box and getting answers and developing friendships and relationships. It's, it's something that maybe because of social media, maybe because they've been forced into this COVID box over the last couple of years. But it's very important that we take a step back and we look at how do we help them build the conversation toward the passive curious future instead of the angry conflicted future. Because I think at the end of the day, everyone who listens to this podcast will definitely understand why that's important. Wow. Mom Matthews. Buddy, I agree with you wholeheartedly because we need to know that the children see a lot of things at home, but nowadays they don't, a lot of the things they see are not good things because they're on their iPads, iPhones, telephones, and all this. So a lot of things they see is on social media and you know, emails and text messages and all that. However, people are being bullied through Facebook and different things. And we need to teach our children that young lady or that young man that you're bullying is just like you are. How would you feel if someone was building you and nobody stepped up to the plate? So we need to, uh, it's a lot of burden on the teachers. And I pray for them that they'll be a light to our children because so many parents are not raising their children. The, the iPhone, the iPad, the tablets, all of that, the television, everything's raising our children but the parents, you know, they, they, so we have to intervene where we can and try to encourage them to, to hold their heads up, no matter what color they are, no matter what their background is. You are a person, you are important, and you are loved. And show that to your friends and your classmates and people around you. And then the world will become a better place. Listen, this is another impactful night of the Impact Education Leadership. All I can say is please share, please invite a friend, and happy Veterans Day. We love you.